You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned afterward for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Mosaic Church today. My name is Morgan Stevens. If you're new, I'm the lead pastor here. I've been out on vacation for a few weeks, and I'm so excited to be back here with you today. We're actually doing something that's not quite connected to that video that you just saw, not connected to our series, but we will pick it back up next week in our Awesome God series, looking at the nature and the character of God. Uh, As you can see, seated with me on this stage are two amazing people that you may or may not know. Seated to my right, your left, is Dr. John Lloyd. And over here is Galen Washington. And together we are the elder team at Mosaic. Maybe what's more familiar language to you. Uh, we're the senior leadership team here. And I'll let themselves introduce themselves briefly before we begin. Thank you so much, Morgan. Uh, good morning, everybody. My name is John Lloyd. Uh, I've had the privilege of worshiping here since 2003 with my wife. I've been an elder since 2010. Uh, my lovely wife, Erin Day, and I have four children, all of whom are virtually learning right now. They range in age from a college freshman down to an eighth grader. Uh, by trade, I'm a neonatologist. I'm a physician that works in an intensive care unit uh, covering uh, a team or leading a team that covers multiple sites through here, through the city here. Uh, it's a privilege to be here with you this morning. Thank you so much. Hey everyone, my name is Galen Washington. Uh, Me and my wife, Simone, joined the church back in 2009. Uh, I started serving as an elder back in 2012. Uh, We have uh, two amazing children, and um, I serve as as an executive in a software company that's based in uh, San Francisco, California. Yeah, before we get going and before we really get into what we're going to talk about today, I just want to take a moment actually and thank John and Galen. I'm sure you would too if you know them for their work here. They are incredible, incredible people, incredible Christians, incredible leaders who have served faithfully here. It's a truth that I would not be here, our family would not be here if it were not for their support, their encouragement, their friendship, their leadership uh, in my life, especially with all the difficulties of the past year. Uh, Even if you may not hear from them all the time, in contrast, to me or some other person on our staff, they are involved on a daily basis with our church and how it goes. So if you're at home again, I know we we clapped once already for Rosalind. Let's clap again for John and Galen because they're amazing. Love you guys. Thank Thank you you so much. That's too kind. Thank you. Thank you. You know, every once in a while, when it sort of seems or feels appropriate, the three of us will gather here uh, to talk about something important as it relates to the state of the church or our vision or our direction. And today, even if you're new, if this is your first time, this is one of those days, and we think, I think, that you could not have picked a better day. Uh, In light of current events in light of the multiple national crises that are going on right now in light of of COVID, uh, economic crisis, or racial tensions, uh, of our current political climate, we felt like it was appropriate to take up just a moment today for you to hear from us, to address some of those things. And again, before we really get going, let me just say a few things and get these out of the way. First and foremost, which is we love you and we miss you dearly. I miss you so much. You know, you know, going virtual only for a little while, hopefully, like what we're doing right now is not what I wanted at all. But still, uh, with our, our, our current COVID local Austin area hospitalization rate, it just seemed like the wisest thing to do. But 
we love you and we miss you. I miss you so much. Second of all, I want to tell you that we are grateful for you. So, so grateful for you because your faithfulness and your generosity and your character and your perseverance, and here's the word, your resilience have been astonishing. We continue to see people come to faith in the person of Jesus here, kind of be added to our body. We are in a solid financial position uh, thanks to the grace of God and to your faithfulness. So we're incredibly grateful for you. And we have today, is what we're really going to talk about, we believe that we have within the larger body of Christ a kind of a mandate or a kind of a calling from God as best we understand it. And you've probably heard it before if you've been here, you picked up on it, or you heard it in a new members class. But in times of difficulty with sort of, you know, wind swirling, it's important to have something to sail towards. And so we want to talk with how what we understand to be our mandate as a church, uh, what that is, and how it intersects with our current cultural moment. So I want to talk about that with you today, the people that we love, that we miss, and that we're grateful for. So here, here's what you can expect to hear today. Here's what we hope to accomplish today. Just a couple of things, broad concepts. We want to do two simple things today. Hopefully they'll be simple. Number one, we want to reaffirm the work that we're called to do. Reaffirm the work that we're called to do. And number two, remember what this will require of us. Reaffirm the work we're called to do and remember what this will require of us. So let's begin here just by talking about the work that we're called to do together as a local church. I'll begin this one and then I'll hand it over to Galen in just a moment. So here we go. Even if you're not ready, let's begin here. Number one, what we're going to talk about and reaffirm the work we feel like we're called to do. Just ask the question, what has, as best we understand it, God himself called this local church to do? Well, most broadly speaking, of course, and I hope that you'll want to hear, is just to follow the same call of every Christian, every Christian church, which is to follow Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus Christ as King and to worship Jesus as our Savior and our Redeemer. Because when God looks at his people around the world, across the globe, he doesn't just see this church, of course, or that church or that movement or this denomination. He sees a global family, a global body, and to use Jesus his own term for it, he sees his own global kingdom, a kingdom comprised not of national governments or states, a kingdom not made up of political leaders, but a kingdom, as we know from the scriptures, of priests. That's, just a, that's a Bible word that just means people who worship God and want to reconnect others to him. So first and foremost, we want to just affirm we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven first. And that core identity, it goes and must remain beyond age, beyond language, beyond culture, beyond gender, beyond ethnicity, race, political affiliation, or socioeconomic status. When God sees us, when he sees you, he sees us, Mosaic Church, as a part of his great, big, global, beautiful kingdom and body. And by the way, we believe that truth so much and so deeply, we actually wrote a song about it. It's called The Beautiful Body of Christ. And you can find it on streaming services and on our YouTube channel, Subscribe and Like. I'm just kidding. Not about the song bit, but about the subscribe and like. But the point is, that's how we see you and us, the people of Mosaic. So our first call is to remind you that we're a part of that. No matter what happens in the world, no matter how you feel in your heart today, remind you of that and help shepherd you in that abundant life God has called us to live. But second, we also know from 1 Corinthians 12 that God places the members of his body as he sees fit. He, he puts the pieces of his own puzzle together. In, in the same way, 
we believe, that he puts gifts and abilities in you Throughout your life, you're on a discovery process of sorts to help discover and refine what God's put in you, put in your body, so to speak. The historic understanding of the Christian church has always been that he, he does that with local churches as well. You can see that, if you know the, the book and the, and the reference, over in the book of Revelation. Uh, each local church we see has its own kind of callings, its own unique abilities and yeah, will therefore experience its own unique struggles, its own unique challenges, and even sometimes failures with respect to that calling and mission. Because while we're led by a perfect leader ultimately, and that's Jesus, all God's people said, amen, we have imperfect humans here next to us, leading us, relating to us, sometimes hurting, sometimes wounding, hopefully lots of times even repenting to us. But still, a larger point is, what I'm saying is, local churches ought to have a strong sense as well of secondary calling for its local mission. Underneath this much larger global vision to fidelity to the lordship of Jesus. So that kind of brings us where we are today to briefly remind you and reaffirm the work that we're called to do. I'll turn it over to Galen. So if you, if you haven't heard this before, or if you have heard it before, it's okay. As Morgan said, all of this bears reminding. And so I just want to start by saying Mosaic Church, this church, the family that you're a part of, exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ in a multi-ethnic, multi-generational context through the core values of worship, community, and mission. So everything that you're going to hear this morning, everything we're going to be talking about, it's our heart's desire, it's our intent that, that all of this flows up and connects to the fact that Mosaic Church exists, and yes, I'm going to say it again, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ in a multi-ethnic, multi-generational context through the core values of worship, community, and mission. Now, when we say the word disciple or discipleship, that can mean a number of things to different people, so let me just add a little clarity here. What we're talking about is when a person says, I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life, at that moment they enter into a process, it's a lifelong process of sanctification, of transformation, of renewal, and, and we love to partner with that kind of work. And in this church, we have a little bit of a grid that we like to use, and there are four pillars, engage, establish, equip and empower. And if you haven't heard us use that language before, um, just hang tight. Over the coming months, you'll hear more about that. But I hope when you hear about our heart's passion for the core principle of discipleship, which is really getting up in our business, allowing the Lord to get up in our face, get up into the very substance of us, to help us be more like him, that's what we're about. And I, I hope you guys can all say amen to that. Now, in order to unpack this a little bit more, Dr. John's going to talk us through some of the practicalities of how all this gets walked out. Thank you so much, Galen. Uh, but as we, as we walk that process of discipleship out, it's important that we understand that that takes place in a, in a physical uh, uh, sense. That there, just like Jesus was, was brought into a physical body, that he was uh, incarnated is the word for that, that he became flesh. So we too, not in a uh, not spirit-empowered way, deal with things uh, in the flesh, but we deal with it in, in space and in time and within a specific culture. And when you have to do that, there are always tensions that come with that. Uh, Jesus had to live through this as he dealt with the Romans, as he dealt with 
the, uh, the, the Greeks as he, as he dealt with his own issues of, of Samaria and working through cultural issues there. Uh, he had to deal with the, the temple law and all the issues and, and challenges associated with, with the legalism of the temple. We here in Austin uh, have different sets of challenges. We have different uh, ethnic groups living here. We're in 2020. We have uh, COVID. We have all the different political issues we have around us. And we have different generations, which is kind of what I want to spend just a second speaking to. Uh, anybody who leads t- teams that's, that have generational, uh, different generational groups in it realizes that, that different generations speak differently. They need different things from community. Uh, now, I'm old, and I'm not quite technically a boomer, but I'm, I'm kind of close to that. Uh, if you look at what a boomer typically needs from, from a church or this kind of gathering, they're going to want information. They're going to want content. They're want, you're going to teach them something. Uh, they have relationships with their grandkids. They, they, they're able to get experiences by going to the movies or watching a baseball game. Uh, but they're primarily here for, for content. If you look at the Gen Xers, they're going to come primarily for relationships. Uh, they, they are able to get content on the internet. They, they have experiences, again, in a different uh, place. They'll watch a movie or, 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 or you know, sports uh, activities. But they're primarily here for the relationship. What can you do for me relationally? Uh, and the millennials or Gen Zs, I mean, they're going to flip this and say, I'm primarily here for the, uh, for the experience. I get relationship. Uh, I get content in another context. But what I need from a church is, is I need the experience. And it doesn't take long or much to recognize the tensions that exist there. Now, I'm speaking very broadly. Not everybody falls into those, uh, those various uh, categories. But as we seek to do this work of discipleship, as we seek to, 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 to become more and more Christ-like in this process, there are tensions that we have to work through that are not just spiritual, but are of, of our specific cultural, ethnic, and generational uh, position. Yeah, and again, we, we, we welcome those, and we're glad to be a part of those, and uh, so, so well put, John. Uh, the context that we also desire to do ministry within isn't just multi-generational. It's also, of course, multi-ethnic, as you heard, and I want to take just a moment to talk about that. Let me give you some information that you may or may not have heard. In the United States today, about 7.5% of churches are considered multi-ethnic. That is, a church in which 20% of the church is non-majority. For example, uh, if a church were 80% Korean, 20% Hispanic, or a church were 80% black and 20% Filipino, or 80% Native American, First Peoples, or 20% Hispanic, that kind of church would be considered multi-ethnic. But here is the problem with uh, the challenge with that number. Most researchers show that of that 7.5%, 80% of that plus is sliding away from being diverse and heading towards being uniracial which means only about 2% of churches have stuck at being multi-ethnic. And of that 2%, only half has a leadership team and structure that even demonstrates a level of diversity. And that's taken from, as you can see there, United by Faith, one of my favorite books written by Michael Emerson, Curtis Paul DeYoung, George Yancey, and Karen Kim. So that, of course, leaves Mosaic Church, which you're a part of today, in that 1% bucket. Now, if I were to go to a doctor and say, you know what, I've got, this, I've got this problem, I've got this condition, will you take a look? And if he or she says, sure, and then the doctor says back to me, you know, there's a 99% chance that you're not going to make it, but then I do, what would you call that? 
Well, I wouldn't just call that getting lucky or beating the odds. I think a lot of us, I would call that a miracle. I'd call that a miracle. You know, sometimes we ask, why is it so challenging to be in a multi-ethnic church? Why is it so hard here sometimes? Why don't those people get me? Why can't they see that? If and when you feel that, and you may be feeling that right now, it's because you're living life in the 1%. It's life in the 1%. And that can be very disorienting. If, if you've seen the movie Tenet, uh, and I'm not giving anything away here, I hope. If you've seen it, you know, there's this great scene uh, near the beginning of the movie. It came out this year where the main character, you see him there, takes what he thinks is a suicide pill rather than be tortured into betraying his own conscience and his own, his own fellow soldiers only to wake up later and find out that it's a pill that puts him into a coma that makes him uh, look like he's dead. So, of course, he's later rescued by his super secret group, and they're always super secret, aren't they? And he wakes up and he asks, with some understandable hurt, why didn't you tell me about that? Why didn't you tell me what that was? I feel a little betrayed. Of course, maybe you feel like that today about church in general, this church in particular. The answer his leader gives him is this. He says, it was a test. A test, he asks. Yeah, a test. And here's what his leader says to him. This commanding soldier, he says, we'd all like to believe we'd run into the burning building. But until we feel that heat, we can never know. So, of course, I hope my point is clear. If you're feeling the heat right now, and you probably are, I know I am, thank you. Don't run away from it. Let it change you into the kind of person that you always maybe hope that you'd be or the kind of person maybe you hope to believe that our nation would want to have in it. And here's what I mean. Here's what I mean by not running away. When, when you stand up and you preach this one verse, for example, Galatians 3, 28, one verse where Paul the apostle insists, he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Again, right into context, like John said, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you preached that or you read that or you heard that and you looked around, And in that place where that scripture was read or or preached and everyone in that place looks like you or or votes like you or thinks like you or has priorities like you or children your same age, that verse, it just means one thing. And and you can affirm its truth. You can affirm its power, you know, but probably only from a distance, kind of like rooting for, say, an English premier soccer league team. Like you don't actually live there. You're not actually with them, but it's kind of nice to cheer for it, right? Most people, I think, only can cheer for Galatians 3.28. Far fewer are able to live it. But when that verse is preached and read and claimed and believed in a place right here, a local church, where there have been historic enemies, where there are centuries old, perhaps, hurts or prejudices and polar opposite political leanings and convictions, now you are getting way closer to the original context and to understand what Paul is really getting at. Galatians 3.28, therefore, is not a kumbaya club spiritual band-aid. No, no. It's a radical claim. It's an offensive claim. It's a supernatural stake in the ground that claims no matter what happens, Christ comes first. And it's got to change how we see each other no matter how much we may not want to. So, first of all, we hope you'll hear we are called to make disciples in this multi-generational, multi-ethnic context. Not for the sake of diversity first, because that can become its own kind of idol, but for the sake of of following Jesus better. Take a following Jesus better. Before we go on, let me just say, if you're wondering about the worship community mission part, I want you to know we talked about that just a few months ago. You can go back and listen to that as well. So that's our work. What's it gonna take? 
What's it going to take? Yeah, so let's talk about for a second, what is this all going to take? Um, in my mind, it's going to take righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In Romans 14 and 17, Paul writes this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. And, and in this context, he's essentially uh, addressing a cultural preference or an issue around cultural preferences, um, if you understand the context. But he goes on to say, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, I just want to slow down for a second and just be very candid with you guys. Morgan just mentioned uh, that we're kind of in this 1% realm. And in that 1% realm, there's some interesting things that go on, some very intriguing and sometimes hard dynamics. And, and I want to share one with you, with, one with you really quickly. Um, one day in a service on a Sunday morning, a gentleman approached me and told me, I'm struggling about my idea of joining this church because there's an African-American man leading as, a, as an elder, that being me, and he was conflicted, he was frustrated, but at the same time, he, he, he didn't know what to do with that. He saw God in me, and so he wanted to talk to me about it, but he was also repulsed by me. So it's kind of interesting. He was repelled by me, but he was also drawn to me. And in that moment, when he shared how he felt about the church because of my role, I had a choice to make. I could follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, find my hope and my rest and my peace in the spirit of the living God, or I could allow my flesh to respond. And, and the reason I'm making this point is because it's not just about me and my experience as a black man in this church of 1%, right? My Asian brothers and sisters, my Hispanic or Latino brothers and sisters, um, Pacific Islanders, what you name it, all of our experiences in, in this 1% realm, it, it's gonna require something of us. And, and one of the main things it requires is we need the spirit of the living God. And I'm going I'm to talk a little bit more about that later. But also what we need to do in addition to that is we need to continually accept the invitation to, to deny ourselves, to literally deny ourselves. We need the spirit and we need to deny ourselves. And so I, I just want to share that with you because we know this isn't easy and it, it is costly. But again, if we remember why we are doing this, what is the, the purpose of us doing this in a multi-ethnic context? There's so much fruit and power that comes from it. And so I hope you feel encouraged by that. And so what we want to continue to talk about now is what we're moving towards and what we're also moving away or we would like to move away from. Yeah, so I just, we're going to take a few moments here and unpack that verse there, Romans 14, 17, about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. As we were praying and fasting this week, in particular, we felt like this was a verse that spoke to what we need, perhaps even what you need right now, today, in this moment. So I'm going to take just a, actually a number of minutes here and focus here on this first idea of righteousness and what that means. Uh, and the Bible word right here is this word, in particular, righteousness. I believe this word is where we find ourselves intersecting with our national cultural moment right now. Because that word itself, righteousness, has a couple of different meanings in, in the Greek. And one of them, one of them means a commitment to truth, a commitment to virtue, to honesty, to integrity. And, and I want to talk about that and maybe even some challenging ways for just a few moments. Because being truthful and being honest, in other words, is a mark, right? 
righteousness, loving truth is a mark of being committed to God's kingdom. And so we have to commit to a love of truth, most clearly demonstrated, of course, in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And we have to, therefore, move away from untruth as best we know it. And that requires, at times, even a local church, that requires taking on one dimension of how we make disciples, which is to take on a kind of prophetic element. That is, to point things out and point to a better future, like, like the, the prophets did, Hebrew prophets did, that, that Jesus, of course, himself did, in terms of speaking, sometimes even truth, about tough things. And we do this prophetic truth-telling. I'm going to do just a, a bit of it in a moment. We do it humbly. We do this prayerfully. Uh, we do this thoughtfully, I think. But we also do this, again, intentionally, following in the footsteps of the examples of people throughout the Christian scriptures who have spoken prophetically into current national events as a way of forming and shaping the people of God. Aren't you glad you, they did it then? I think you'd say yes. I am. I know I am. So I want to give you my perspective now. We felt like it was important for you to hear this from me. My perspective on our current national moment and specifically the events of a couple of weeks ago of January 6th. And I hope you'll hear what I have to say today through a heart of love and care and concern for all of us, for all of us. And here's what I, here's what I feel about. I was, maybe you were too, but I was deeply saddened and dismayed by what was to me that was a line that was crossed on January 6th by our outgoing president, President Trump. His words, his consistent rhetoric about the results of our election, which he claimed he won in a landslide, those were untrue. He gathered people, told them it would be a wild protest, exhorted them not to show weakness and to take their country back. Now, the reason this is important to talk about is because that lack of truth led to an attack on our nation's capital, in part. Other reasons, but that in, that in particular did, where people died, and more people would have died if it were not for the grace of God. And of course, courageous law enforcement doing their best. My point is words and truth, truth matters, truth matters. And so I wish, I wish, maybe you do too, I wish I would have heard something different on that day from our nation's leader as in something like this, like, you know, we're all Americans committed to the common good. And even if we see it differently, we should love one another. We should forgive one another. We should bind up one another's wounds. You know, I'm grateful for his urging for peace since then, uh, but that would have been far more useful then, in that moment. I was also sad to see among the crowd that day those who believe and who have proclaimed that, that a particular race, in this case, white race, are superior. And we saw those people there, and they accomplished in that moment what even the civil war in our nation could not accomplish, which was the flying of the Confederate flag in our Capitol building. That saddens me deeply. And for a moment, let me just talk about this and name why I think it's important to talk about these people as being complicit in this kind of attack and why this matters to Morgan Stevens. You know, if you'll read not just American history, but you'll read church history, church history, uh, you'll see that at every moment where strides are being made within the church of Jesus, especially when multi-ethnic churches begin to thrive, whenever people of color begin to make strides in societies where they've historically struggled, and in the church, Voices of ethnic supremacy time and again, and in our nation it's been white supremacy, it threatens to undo progress that's been made around the gospel. So here's why, here's why this matters to me and why I don't believe it's political, but it's a spiritual issue. Because ethnic supremacy of any kind is a heresy. And like all heresies, it denies the gospel at some point. You know, in his, in his own way, Paul the Apostle, he spoke out against ethnic and cultural supremacy in a way like those early Judaizers in the book of Galatians 
what we read that verse from earlier, Paul the Apostle named and denounced them as, as enemies of, of the gospel, not of other people, but enemies of the gospel. And so, like the Judaizers, any form of ethnic or cultural supremacy is a denial of grace. And as Christians, we should easily be able to denounce this, right? Because that heresy says that meaning and salvation comes through race or culture, and not by salvation, by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And that heresy hurts our brothers and sisters made in the image and the likeness of God. Now, of course, uh, this is not a new thing uh, for America. It's existed for centuries, exists around the world too, globally. And the answer for it all, for it all, is the gospel of Jesus, which insists that the foot at the ground of the cross is equal and that we repent of our sins, maybe even sins in this area, and of our personal sins. And like Daniel, like Job, like Nehemiah did, perhaps even repent of our family and corporate and national sins to God. So please don't confuse this like a political issue today. No, it's a spiritual one. Hear me, I'm not trying to be politically correct. I'm not trying to be woke. I'm not trying to be cool or hip or relevant or that dude or a white savior or anything. I'm trying to be biblically faithful. And when a heresy continues to rear its head and threaten the lives and the souls of people made in the image of God, it matters, especially in our context, that we at least talk about it. And let me be perfectly clear, of course, I don't believe, and I don't think anyone here does, that all white people are racist. That's called stereotyping. That's not okay. Uh, and if you're here, I know what you're for. Like I am, you're here for Jesus. You're here for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we should believe that about each other. And even though right now we can't gather and we can't see each other, we should stop believing lies from the enemy, if you believe them, that would cause us to think something otherwise. And to remember that we are in this together, even if we don't always agree or understand one another. This church, from what I've seen, is full of amazing people who would do anything for their brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's easy for us to denounce white supremacy. Now I'm for righteousness, for the gospel of Christ, for Jesus Christ as Lord. And in this multi-ethnic space, condemnation of heresies that threaten the gospel, we just got to talk about them. And it's hard to do. It's not an easy thing to do. To be honest, I don't really like doing it. But, but when there are big lines, big lines that get crossed that affect all of us as elders, as shepherds of God's people, we have some responsibility to talk about it. We do this judiciously again, prayerfully, because I got no interest in chasing news cycles and this and that all the time. And you don't want to be a part of that kind of church either. And besides, the Bible talks about a whole, whole lot of stuff other than just one thing. But, but we have consistently spoken about this one thing and will in the future. And if you were here a few years ago, you know, we stood right here and spoke out against another line we believe that got crossed that intersected with our calling as a church to be truth tellers when appropriate. And that was the Supreme Court's decision, if you remember, to redefine marriage. We stood right here and spoke out against the attempt to redefine marriage as being something other than a lifetime covenant between one man and one woman, again, for a life, because we believe that decision was not truth and crossed this national cultural line of truth that affected us all, just like that riot in the Capitol crossed a national line. See, truth-telling, of course, with grace, with grace, out of a heart of love, prayerful heart of love, these things are gospel issues, especially when it potentially affects our safety. It's a gospel issue. 
And to be clear, I want to tell you, I support your right to protest peacefully. peacefully you want to a peaceful yeah, that's, our, that's your right as an American citizen, my right too. I've marched, just so you know, marched, protested for the unborn, and done the same for racial justice. So, 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 if the gospel of Jesus, let me tell you, if it fits into your political party or ethnicity, if it only fits into mine or supports what I already believe, that's what's called confirmation bias. That's a tough thing, and, and therefore you can never really know if you're right or not, right or not. But one of the main ways you can begin to discover this is just by being a part of a church like this and facing a kind of a heat. Do we always get this right? Oh, no. Do I always talk about what you want me to talk about in the time frame you want me to talk about it? No, because there's a thousand things a local church has to do to form Christ-centered disciples, especially right now in the middle of all that's going on. But, 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 what I hope you'll hear What I hope you'll see from me today, above all, is a commitment to the word of God and to loving people. As we look and talk about the importance of righteousness and peace and of the joy of the Holy Spirit, I want to take a minute just to talk about peace. And in a minute, in a a moment like this, peace is a really challenging concept. If you go to John 14, 27, Jesus said to his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, peace is one of those things that's quite nice to talk about in a coffee shop. You know, it, it's, it's, it's not dangerous as you're sitting there trying to pontificate on, on how you could be more peaceful when, when you're not being stressed. Just in the same way as Morgan talked about the heat and the, and the power that that has to really test your convictions... Uh, peace is like that as well. When you take a, a, a normal life and just deal with the stresses of finances and marriage and kids and appointments and, and scheduling, peace is hard to find there. What do you do when you then put that into the middle of, of even more challenges? You add disease on top of that or depression. You add uh, a divorce. You add other relational damages. And, and peace is yet another degree removed from, from, from our, our forefront. What do you do when you take all of that then and you stick it into the middle of the medical crisis that we have going on around us, the political crisis that we have going on around us, and the economic crisis going on around us, all wrapped up in a big bow of isolation because we can't get next to each other? If you just focus on my piece of this, in a sense, the medical piece of it, the truth is we have lost 2 million people across the globe because of this COVID pandemic. 20% of those people have died in the United States. 600 people since this COVID pandemic started have died here in Austin. We today have 600 people that are in the hospital. A third of those are in the intensive care unit. Half of those, or 60% of them, are intubated. Even though we've gotten much better at taking care of these patients and that mortality rate has come down from 70%, to 50%, and it's even better than that here locally, it's a significant burden of death if you find yourself like those 110 families intubated in an intensive care unit because of COVID. The reality is that truth is a world that I've been quite versed in because of my profession. My team and I take care of 60 babies on average every single day, 365 days a year here in Austin. Now, these families uh, are trying to seek peace in the middle of something like that. How do we, as believers, respond to that? 
Do we, do we panic? Do we live in fear? Do we get on social media to try and find an answer there? What I hope to do today is to show that in Jesus' verse in John 14, he's showing us a pattern, a map, a road to that peace that we all crave. Now, to get into my job, it's 10 years of education just to step into the door. When you then step into that door, you're talking about an attention to detail that requires the ability to care for patients that weigh far less than a pound. We have to be able to use medicines, some of them to the 10,000th place. We measure, we measure tenths of milligrams and hundredths of milligrams. We measure cc's, which is a fifth of a teaspoon, down to the tenth place. How does a family find peace in the middle of that? As a clinician, how do I find peace there? The challenge is rooted in a paradox that runs so clearly through all of the scriptures, and that is this. What is my responsibility, and what's God's responsibility? We talk about predestination or, or the, the concept of free will. It weaves its way in in different ways, but the truth is the scripture speaks to both. And I want to point to another storm that was, was, was uh, lived through by the Apostle Paul, in which he says, as he's being tossed about by the wind like we are so much today, he said at the, in the middle of that, that God's going to save us. God's spoken to me and he's going to save us. He then says, as people are trying to desert the boat, don't leave the boat because then we'll all die. In one hand, he's saying, God's told me something. There's this truth that I can hold on to that's bigger and above these waves, and I believe it. Yet he's seeing people leave that he needs to man ropes and, and do the tasks of trying to save the, the ship and save the lives on the ship. And he says, don't get off the ship because we need you. So which is it? Again, the scripture says it's really both. The challenge is if I live like it's all on God, I fall into something or the temptation then is something that God didn't design me to be. It's not a reflection of who that is, who he is. And that could be laziness, uh, the, 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 the sense that I'm, I'm not incentivized to go do something. God is wired to drive in us to go and to create and to, and to, to expand. But if, if it's all God, then I can just sit there and let him do that. The other piece of this, the other tension is really more what I'm speaking to today. And that is, if it's all on me, then I'm frantic and I've got to run around and, and, and try and make it happen. If I, if I say the wrong thing, if, if like today, right now, I thought that the, the impact of this message was just on me being smart and saying something that's correct or even hearing God correctly, there's a lot of pressure to get all of that perfectly. But the beauty is, is that God says it is all him. He gives us the, the end of revelation, the end of time, in a sense even more than we know the end of the, the score at the end of the game. We know the, the how and the why of, of eternity as best we can as, as laid out in the scriptures. So even in this ICU where I have to try and lead my own heart and more importantly lead families' hearts through moments of, of astounding opportunity for lack of peace, it is because of my identity in Christ that gives me any opportunity to have peace there, that gives me a road to have peace there. It is because I understand that though I, I have to study, that I had to learn, that my attention to detail and that my experience all matter. They are so critical. You wouldn't want me there doing those things without them. But at the end of the day, I have to rest in the truth and find peace in the truth that it is not I 
who, is, who am the great physician, but it is Jesus Christ, that he is the great physician. So again, peace I live with you, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now it's essential that we recognize that this 14th chapter is, is, is one that starts off talking about home. It's, a, it's relational, it's familial. I go to prepare a place for you. That I'm, 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 I'm in the Father, the Father's in me and I'm in you. That we're in this together. That, that I'm, I'm going before you. Now he's foreshadowing what's coming. Because in this 14th chapter, he's talking about home and says then, I'm gonna give you this peace. I'm gonna give you this place to rest. I'm gonna give you a comfort that our hearts all long for. But it's important that we recognize that this is his peace. It's not ours. That it is a free gift that he gives to us. And that the result of that, the product of that, is that we are able to have hearts that are at rest and at peace without fear. Now, there's a temptation to explain this away a bit by the extraordinary circumstances one can find themselves in. And and I'm no different. I tend to find my, my circumstances more extraordinary than anybody else. So I'm chief among uh, the, those able to try ex- to create excuses for, for why that doesn't exactly fit to me or why my challenges are more. But how today important is it that we recognize that even in these crazy circumstances, that our situations that not just our children, but our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren will read about in history books how essential it is that we recognize the, the foundation of our truth being my identity in Christ and that it is, a, it is, it is his peace that he's giving to me, that, that peace is a gift and that it will result in my heart being able to rest without fear. Now, we can't rush past the truth that after John 14 comes John 18 where he is denied, where he is betrayed, in John 19, where he's crucified. So he says this in not just this extraordinary moment in time, but he says this in the extraordinary moment in human history. It is the time, the, 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 the monumental moment in all of human history. Jesus Christ says, my peace I give to you. This peace is not as the world gives it. And what he's getting to is the reality that he's saying, be at peace as I know the cross is coming. Be at peace, though I know I'm going to be uh, tortured and beaten. But he's able to say, be at peace, because he knows who he is. And he says that in the context of the realization that, re- that John 20 is coming. And in John 20, he is, he is resurrected, that he conquers death, that he is able to step over that. And so please join me today in being able to rest in the peace of God, that comes in knowing the truth that Jesus Christ knew when he said those uh, words to his disciples 2,000 years ago. And that is, he is in the Father. The Father is in him. And that will allow him to conquer death, uh, which then gives us the ability to partner with that because he is in us and receive this peace from him that does pass understanding. Thank you, John. Yeah, I know, I know you guys have heard a lot uh, this morning, and so I, I, I just want to share one closing thought. We had talked about the, the power of the Holy Spirit and, and the uh, necessity of the Holy Spirit. Uh, look, guys, I'm convinced, and I think we, we might all agree, those of us who study church history, 
I'm convinced that the church wouldn't have made it if it weren't for the, the catalytic power um, that was experienced uh, at, the, at, at Pentecost and that we can read in the book of Acts. And we can see, we can see the, the role that the Spirit of God played um, in the knitting together of a diverse group of people who had schisms and they had fights, they had issues relating to each other. They were, there was religious issues and cultural issues and ethnic issues. And if it weren't for the Holy Spirit, I really don't believe the church would be where it is today. And so I, I just want to encourage you, as we're talking about all of this, I just want to ask you, where is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in my life? And I'm starting with me. Where is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life? Let me ask you a different question. Is the Holy Spirit your best friend? Are you, are you looking for him? So as we're talking about being a 1% church, listen, there was another one percenter, and, and, and they made it because of their dependence and their reliance on the leading of the Spirit of God. And I, we're not going to make it if we don't do that, but because we will do that, we shall make it. Amen? Amen, yeah. So righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. We feel like, man, these are things we need right now, and I think you'd agree. Let me just uh, close by just sharing one more thought. You know, I know, that, of course, this has been a lot today. Like, like, uh, like Galen said, uh, like, like, uh, and I want to thank John and Galen, of course, again, for being here with me today. But you know, it's been a lot today, but we're all going through a lot right now, a lot right now, and we're glad to be going through it with you. I want to close just by sharing something. Actually, I felt the Lord put it in my heart. Uh, for me, and a couple of weeks ago during the time off that I had, this is sort of a little, a little bit of a vulnerable thing for, for me to do. Never kind of done this before, but if, if you don't know me, I, I love music. I love words. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing. Uh, but we've been trying to create some new music here at Mosaic over the past bit. And whether this, what I'm about to tell you, ends up as a song or not, that's okay. That's not the point. But these words uh, flowed out of my heart. I felt like, as Galen referenced, we're, we're at a level from the Holy Spirit. And so I'd like to, as we begin to close here, sort of speak these to you, speak them over you as a way of blessing us, dismissing us today out into the world as a people of God. This little poem kind of thing is called The Great Exchange. The Great Exchange, I just want to read it to you. It says, when I'm tired, you say, come in. When I'm weak, you say, I win. When I can't go on and strength is gone, you say, let's begin again. When I say I've done all I can, when I can't find my way to your plan, when I've lost my sight or give up the fight, I feel you take my hand. The chorus goes like this. And you call me what I'm not, and you tell me who I am. This is the song I've learned to sing. For here the great exchange takes place in the presence of the king. In the presence of the king. Second verse. When there's nowhere left to go, when there's nothing left to show, you find me there bring me where your heart becomes my home for your presence my loneliness for your joy my hopelessness all that you have for all that I lack my sin for your righteousness and you call me what I'm not and you tell me who I am this is the song I've learned to sing for here the great exchange takes place in the presence of the king in the presence of the king and you know, of course, there's no other place we'd rather sort of not only begin, but to leave you today as we, as we all go out into the world on the mission of God, as you've heard today. We want to take just a few moments here, no matter where you are today and feeling and staying and living and all that, take a moment as an elder team 
to pray for you and to pray over you as we begin to dismiss. So I'll start and you guys can hop in and then we'll, we'll come back and close. Father God, thank you today for our time. We thank you for the great exchange that takes place in your presence. And somehow, some way, at least I, I pray a portion of that has taken place for this church body and family, for all those people who are new who are watching today as well. Lord, I thank you today for all that you're doing. And I do pray for the righteousness, love and truth, for peace and joy of the Holy Spirit to be on every person now in Jesus' name. Father, I just thank you and I agree with that prayer. And God, I just pray that this church and really all the churches uh, throughout the world will be known not by what we say, but by demonstrations of your power and your love. In Jesus' name. God, we just thank you for the invitation you've given us, the opportunity you've given us to participate in your work, God. I just pray right now over this local church, our local body, as we engage in the work of the larger church, God. I pray that you would fill us with hope, that you would fill us with courage, that you would really be the, the wind under our wings, that you would be the, the, the rocks under our feet, God, that we would be able to, 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 to put them in a level ground because of who you are and who you are in us. And so I pray right now, even in the midst of this unprecedented season from so many perspectives, God, I pray that you fill me with that joy. I pray that you fill me with that righteousness. I pray you fill me with the joy of your Holy Spirit. I pray that over every individual in this church, God. I pray that we would be able to walk humbly together, that we would be able to walk full of joy and faith and hope and love as we walk this out. So thank you so much. I pray for all those who are impacted by COVID, who are impacted by economic challenge. Uh, I pray for all those who've been impacted by the political disruption in our country right now, God. I just pray for level heads, for wise thinking, and I ask this in your name based on your power. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.